the, the question that we're going to be posing today is this. Who's the hardest person to lead? See, we all have leadership in, in some degree. Every one of us in this room, you all have leadership. Every one of you. Because leadership is defined by the ability to influence another. Even a big brother or a big sister has influence on their younger siblings to some degree, some level. Um, every one of us has, even, even if we were the youngest kid, you have some kind of influence on your friends. So every one of us, I want you to understand this, you may not hold a position of leadership, but every single one of you has leadership in your life. You have leadership. You have the ability to influence someone else. Good or bad, but you all have that. So the question is, who's the hardest person to lead? As I began to think about this, I, I, I thought um, often of, of the Next Steps class. And you guys can go to the next slide until you guys get that fixed for me. Second slide. And in the Next Steps class, you guys begin to learn your shape. Spiritual gifts your heart or passions, abilities, personality, and experience. So I began to think about that. Well, somebody who's spiritually gifted differently than you could be hard to lead. For example, um, if someone has the gift of mercy and are very merciful people and someone else has the gift of prophecy and they want to speak out against the sin and the other person's wanting to have mercy on the sin, you can have conflict. Amen, right? Both are spiritual gifts and both are relevant, aren't they? So sometimes somebody who maybe has a, a, a spiritual gift of mercy and they're the leader may have clashing with someone who has the gift of prophecy trying to follow the merciful person, right? So then I thought, well, maybe what about the heart or passion? And, and let's say that, that you have a heart for recovery ministry and, and someone else that they're not opposed to it, but that's not where their heart is. It can be hard to lead someone who's not going in the same direction as you. True? Okay? What about abilities? Everybody has different abilities. As a pastor, I am not... All that you see here might have been ideas, but I didn't know how to do any of them. And so it can sometimes be difficult being a leader and trying to lead people who are gift, or have a different abilities than you. We did not have that this round here, but another one is personality, and this is like, this, is, this has got to be where it's at. Where the personality is, this has to be the one. Because everybody's got different personalities. So when our personality test that we do is we use these animals. you got a lion, an otter, uh, a, a beaver, and a golden retriever. And a lion is that type A um, personality. They are very um, task-oriented um, golden retrievers are on the opposite side of the spectrum. They are people-oriented. They are people before programs. A lion would be a program before the people because a lion has a task to get done. A beaver is the planner, and the otter is just here to have a good time. <laughs> Come on. If any of you need to understand which one I am, I'm the otter with squirrel tendencies is what I've been told. So, um, so the thing is, is that, uh, so an example is, I think for, for my personality, the hardest person to lead is not the beaver, is the lion. I'm here to have a good time, time, and guess what lions eat? They eat otters for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And guess what my wife is? She's a lion. She's a lion. So, so the thing is, I thought, well, maybe this is the hardest person to lead is when we have personality clashes. 
Well, then I thought about experience, and I started going back when I was 20 years old, and I was a pastor. I started off pastoring at 20 years old. I wasn't married and didn't have any kids, and I couldn't tell you how. If I had a dollar for every time a, a senior adult when I was 20 said, I got grandchildren older than you, I wouldn't need to work at all. Because guess what? I, didn't ha- I, I wasn't married, so what am I going to tell you about marriage? I didn't have any kids. What was I going to tell you about kids? And then I didn't even have teenagers, so what am I going to tell? Because that's a whole different thing. Having kids and having teenagers is different, right? So then what, what am I going to tell you about that? And so what, what, the, the experiences in life. So what I began to think about is all these deals, and I started thinking, wow, all the circumstances, all the abilities, experiences, this creates a complex equation of leadership. But I still haven't answered the question, have I? Third slide. <laughs> Truth be told, the hardest person to lead can't be found on that list above because the hardest person to lead is none other than yourself. The hardest person to leave is, lead is myself. Now, some of you are sitting there going, no, do you know my wife? I do. I have one. And I'm still telling you the hardest person. She's not in the room. That's why I can do that. Actually, she's in the back. I'm sorry, honey. I love you. And you're so easy to lead. So I'm going to tell you why the hardest person to lead is myself. Like for me. For me to lead. When I, as a leader, the hardest person to lead is myself because I am selfish. I'm egotistical. You don't know this about me because the, the church always sees the best side of me, but my wife can verify. Rebellious, stubborn. Anybody else? Am I the only stubborn one in here? Right? We always point to somebody who th- we think is more stubborn than ourselves, and then we realize that we're just as stubborn as the stubborn person sitting next to us. Right? I can be greedy. Sometimes I don't listen. Sometimes I'm undisciplined. Sometimes I lack self-control. Sometimes I'm judgmental. Sometimes I act without thinking. You guys get the point, right? If you start thinking about yourself, can't you all sit and think about all the weaknesses that you have and start realizing that, man, if somebody else had all the weaknesses that I had, that would be a hard person to lead. Amen? Come on, right? That's what I'm wanting us to understand is that really, in all reality, the hardest person to lead is you. And if we can't lead ourselves, okay, next slide. So the question is this, how can I lead others if I can't lead myself? Isn't that a good question? How can I lead others? How can I lead anyone else if I can't get it right? Well, this is going to be a good one, guys. I timed it out 48 minutes, but we're on time right now. So before I should truly lead anyone, I got to, I must learn how to lead myself. Before I can really lead my wife, I better figure out how to lead myself. Before I lead my children, I better figure out how to lead myself. The second question I want to pose is this. So the next slide. How can I lead others when I don't know where I'm going? (laughs) I mean, this, this is, so a leader, 
leads. A leader, no, leader is going somewhere. Just like when I remember walking into this building and I walked in that back thing and, and I saw all the coon turds everywhere. And there was a lot of them. I mean, drop, I mean, there was a drop ceiling and everything and, and holes in the wall and it smelled terrible. I mean, I remember walking in, but I also knew I could see what everything could look like. And God planted a vision in my heart, and we're sitting in it today. And guess what? We still got a lot more to do. There's still more that God showed me about this place than what we're sitting in today. But a leader is leading out. They're going somewhere. But if I don't know where I'm going, I can't lead anyone else there. Come on. Right? If I don't know where I'm going, how can I take my wife? See, so many of us have, and I'm not talking about like, hey, I'm going to work. I'm talking about where am I going spiritually? Where am I going with my life? Where am I headed? But if I don't know that, I can't lead my children to a destination I don't know how to get to. That's why I'm so hard on men. That's why I push fathers and husbands over and over and over because we are supposed to lead the way. But if we don't know where we're going, and that's what today is all about us, figuring out where we're supposed to go. See, there's a big difference, and I put grave difference, between a leader and a manager. See, a leader is, they're taking, whether it's an organization, a family, a ministry, a church, whatever it is, a leader's taking them somewhere. They already know where the destination is. That's what leaders do. Managers just, I don't want to screw it up. Do you want to know why we have 1,400 churches dying and shutting down every month in the, in the United States? 1,400. Do you know why? Because they're, man, they're just trying not to die. That is not living, and that's not on mission. That's not leading. There are so many ministers. There are so many leaders that aren't really leaders. They're just a manager. They're just trying to keep it alive. That's not living. That's not leading. So the, the next slide, we start off saying this. People follow for one of two reasons. Okay? One of two reasons people will follow someone else. One, they believe in the leader. That leader has a charisma, something about them, an it factor. They, they, they believe in them because of their character, their integrity, their honesty, something. But they believe in that person, so that I'm going to follow that person, right? The second reason a per person would, would follow is because they believe in the vision of that organization. They believe in where that business, that organization is going, even if they don't like the leader. There's a lot of people who stick at a business, a corporation, because they believe in what that mission is. They believe in the mission. They may not care for the leader, but they sure believe in what they're chasing after. Not everybody, I mean, I know this is a shocker, but not everybody, I'm not everybody's favorite. Right? I mean, it was so hard for me to believe this at first, but I'm not everybody's favorite, but there's still a lot of people who I may not be their favorite leader, and I may not lead how they like, but they believe in what Living Water's doing. See, that's awesome. So there's two reasons why people follow, and that's there, there it is right there. So the next slide says this, why is leading yourself so important? Because how you lead yourself is how you lead others. Well, that's good. I mean, there's like, spent a lot of time this week. There's a lot of good stuff here. 
how you lead yourself is how you lead others. Have you ever thought about that? If you're lazy, you won't have any expectations for anybody else. You'll surround yourself with lazy people. If you're apathetic, that means I just don't care. That's going to, people will either follow you for a little bit because they're also apathetic or they will follow you for a little bit and quit you because they're not apathetic. However you are and how you lead yourself is how you will lead other people. If you have impossible expectations, that's where I fail. When I fail, and I do often, ask my kids and my wife, my expectations are boom, way up here. And when I fail, it's because I have impossible expectations that no one can live up to. Any other parent like that? Am I the only one in the house? No, I'm not. Okay. I'm working on it. That's why I go to CR. I'm working on it. Working on it. Working on it. All right. So, uh, on the other side, though, if you're completely God-focused and God-driven and mission-minded on God's mission, then guess what? You're going to lead other people in the same way. So it came back to this as I began this process, and if you'll go to the next slide for me, it all came back to who does God want me to be? Like, where am I going? And I'm not talking about like a building, a destination that way. I'm talking about that spiritual, spiritual destination. Who does God want me to be? Because if, if that's my destination, that I want to become the man God had in mind, right? And if you're a lady, the lady that God had in mind, right? Or the, the child, the youth that God had in mind for you to be. If I have that as my destination, then I know where I'm going, even if I'm not there yet. You following me, right? We're with me? Okay, good. All right, so uh, I, I started thinking about this. And, and so what, what God wants is this. He wants us to become like Him, doesn't He? Throughout the Bible, it says, imitate, be imitators of Christ. Ephesians 5, 1, be imitators of Christ. So he wants me to become godly. That's a weird word, isn't it? If you've been listening to the tidbits, it's a word that we often shy away from. I would never just walk up to somebody and say, hey, I'm a godly man. You'll either think that about me or you won't, but it's not for me to tell you. But see, godly doesn't mean that I'm God. It means that I'm like Him. Godly means that you're becoming like Him, that I want to talk like God. I want to act like Him. I want to treat people as Jesus treated people. I want to forgive as Jesus forgave. I want to teach like Jesus taught. I want to be like Jesus. That's when you begin to make the steps and taking the steps to be godly. Whether you're there yet or not. See, the word godly comes from a Greek word, eusubia, and it means to be a devout practice, or, or it means the whole practice, the whole practice. So to practice something is to mean I'm doing it. So the practice, the whole practice of faith, it supposes that you're practicing out a knowledge of God, a reverence of God, an affection of God, or a love of God, dependence upon Him, submission to Him, a gratitude to Him, and a complete obedience to Him. When you're talking about godliness, it's not just saying, well, I know a lot about God, so I can quote Scripture, so I'm godly. It means that the whole Christian faith, the whole thing, I'm trying my very best to do it just like Jesus did. And the more I do it like Him, the more that I practice the way that Jesus did, the way I, I pray like Jesus prayed, I talk like Jesus, I treat people, the more that happens, the closer, the more godly I become. Our, our ladies 
Uh, our, our men are doing a class on Wednesdays called Wild at Heart. How many men are in that class? All right. Well, you guys are not very loud for as many are in that class. There's two classrooms, and I heard like one person. So, all right. The men are learning uh, Wild at Heart, and one of the things that they're learning is only a man can draw a man out of a boy. Okay? It takes a man to draw a man out of a boy. We wonder why our culture is so messed up today with our beliefs and our thoughts and the things that are running crazy in our school. There's not enough men calling men out of boys. We have a lot of boys raising up boys that want to be girls. We need men to rise up and draw the man out of a boy. On the other side, it's the same thing. The women are in a class called Captivating. And they're learning that a woman, it takes a woman to draw a woman out of a girl. I don't know how to make my little girls become women. They're daddy's little girls. They're the hardest ones to spank. I've learned that. Naomi is the very hardest. She looks at me with those blue eyes and red hair. I remember Barbara's like, you go spank your daughter. I'm like, oh, I got this, honey. I got it. I walk into the room and Naomi's sitting on the bed. She goes, I'm scared. I'm like, it's okay. It's all right. It's okay. We're going to get through this. And she's like, have mercy on me. I'm like, you can't do that. You can't use the church stuff on your dad. I'm the pastor. I was just waiting for her to say, won't you pray with me? Pray that... Let's pray together that you'll have mercy. You know, I'm like, and then Barbara's like, I walk out and she's like, "Mm mm-mm. That's my little girl. Now the boys, I know what it's going to take for those boys to become a man, so I'm harder on them. And sometimes I watch Barbara and she's harder on the girls. I'm like, don't be hard on my girls. See, that's that's the whole thing is it takes a man to bring a man out and it takes a woman to bring a woman out. But guess what? It takes God to put the God in us. I can't do that on my own. So it's gonna take God to lead you to godliness. All right, so the next slide, I'm gonna read some passages and I got two guys that are gonna help put up my dry erase board. We're gonna experiment with our technology. It wasn't working on my phone very well, but we're gonna try some more technology stuff here in a second though. The first right now, this is a passage that I'm gonna show you on this dry erase board pretty soon. It's gonna be pretty neat. So check this out. His divine power, this is God's divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life. Now, I like how the New King James actually puts it. It puts life and godliness. I actually like that a lot better. Um, And then through our knowledge. So look at this. He's given us everything. His power has given us everything we need for a godly life or a life in godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate. Listen to that. I love that. That you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. That's a pretty awesome passage. So here's what the guys are going to do. Oh, next slide. 
and I'm going to read verses 5 through 7 as well. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. So I'm going to break this down on, on the board over here, and the guys are going to actually, because I know that some of you will not be able to read the words in the back, but they've been working on this. They're going to help me out a lot. So, and I'm going to have to bend down. Okay, so I want to show you something that I learned in college. One of my favorite things to do, to be very honest with you, is to, to, to outline Scripture. I took this class, and, and uh, they, they were like, Daniel, you don't want to go to that professor. He's boring. He just writes Scripture on the dry erase board all day. And I'm like, sounds like my kind of guy. Walked in there, and all of a sudden, the Word of God became alive. It was in that class that I received my call to teach the Word of God. And so I'm just going to show you a little bit, I'm just, and, I, and I'm hoping that we'll be able to do this even more in the future. But um, So I'm going to do this. I'm not going to write every single word, but what we're going to do is I'm going to show you how this scripture breaks out. So um, here we go. So God, it's God's. I'm, I'm using God instead of His because we know who His is and it's God. It's um, God's divine power. And if I could spell. All right. Divine power, right? Okay, now, then I'm going to come down here, has given. And this is an important word right here. That is an important word. He has given us. What he's given us is this. Well, let's go ahead and find out. He's given us everything, that's us, we, I'm making sure there, need. Oops. So, all right. For, I'm just going to use the King James version of this, life and godliness. Okay? So that's for where we're going to start right here. So this important word, I'm going to go ahead and make this right here. There we go. All right. So, so here's the thing. His divine power. So this is God's power, not mine. It is God's divine power. His divine power has given us all of us, probably looks really silly on live, but anyways, everything we need for life and godliness. This word right here is super important, though. This is middle, I know it's small, middle voice. And what that means is this. Middle voice in the Greek is really important because what it means is this. It means that God is going to do His part if we do our part. I'm going to have to meet God in the middle. And guess what? He actually says it in this very passage of where we're going to meet with him in the middle. I'm going to put an arrow coming up now through. See? So he's given me everything I need. He's given it to me for life and godliness through. So here's through our knowledge of him so what if i don't have any knowledge of god his power doesn't do me any good isn't that amazing because this given me it seems like just god gave it to me and i don't have to do anything but when you start really studying the greek it's teaching me something when god says hey 
I have all the power you need for your life to do everything that you need to do in life, and I have all the power that you need to become godly. But guess what? You're going to have to meet me in the middle here, bud. You're going to have to meet me here with your knowledge of me. You're going to have to add to your knowledge. You're going to have to grow in your understanding. So, through his, there. So then now I'm going to come over here to verse 4. All right, that's what V4 means. Verse 4, I'm going to come over here now. So here's is what it says now. Through these. Through what? See, when I read the Bible, I'm often asking myself questions all the time. Through what? Through these. Through these. Let me show you. Through your life and through godliness through these things that God has given me the power for. That's what he's talking about here. So through these, he, this is God, God, again, has given. (laughs) So what has he given me? Isn't this amazing? So through these, through this life and godliness, through his divine power, he's given me everything that I need for life and godliness. Through these, the life and the godliness that's developing in my, from my knowledge, he has given me precious promises. So I'm going to write precious over here, and I'm going to write promises real big, promises. He's given us. Again, this word given right here is still middle. It's still middle. It's not saying, okay, now I'm going to all give everything. It's still the middle. So he's still saying, listen, I'm giving. I'm doing my part if you're doing your part. I'm going to tell you here in a few minutes, I'm going to break down what your part looks like, but I'm wanting you to understand that in the Scripture, a lot of times we just say, well, God, give me. Don't we have that attitude when we go to God? God, just give me. I want to become godly, but I don't want to put the work into it. God, I want to be a good person, but I don't want to have to do good things. God, I want to be generous, but I don't want to give nothing. You see, the problem is is that we want God just to, God, take away my addiction, but I don't want to work at recovery. Come on. See, what we want God to do is we want him and his divine power just to fix everything, but I don't want to meet him in the middle. But when you read your Bible, we need to come to a point of understanding, hey, he's given it, but it's through our knowledge of him too. we got to meet him in the middle. And I'm going to show you something here. So that. He's given us precious promises so that through them, Right? Through them. What do you think the them is? The precious promises. Through these promises. Through them. We may participate. Ooh, that sounds fun. Participate in two things. Divine nature. God's divine nature. And he wants us to escape the corruption of the world. When I saw my professor do this with Scripture, all of a sudden that Scripture made sense. Now you might just see a bunch of arrows and scribbly lines and I may have thoroughly confused you. But this is one of my favorite. This is what I do when I'm nerding out at home. 
all right? When I get home and I get down the Bible, I'm like, oh my goodness, what does this mean? And I'm, and I'm all of a sudden, the word, when I hit that word given, it changed everything. Because I looked at it, and I'm like, well, given, God's given me everything. This must be active. No, it said middle, and I'm like, oh man, it means I'm involved. And all of a sudden, how am I involved? Oh, it's through my knowledge of Him. Well, what if I'm not, what if godliness has just as much to do with God's divine power as it does with my growing knowledge of Him? Then it would mean that my godliness is also dependent upon my willing to add to knowledge. Well, what if I didn't know that? And I just wanted God to give it to me. I'll never get it. Hmm. All right, guys. I got a couple more slides to show you. And a picture, a beautiful picture my wife has drawn here in a little bit. So here's the thing is how do we become godly? That's where we're at now. Is how, how, do, how does one become godly? Well, well first... First, no one can become godly without God. Never going to happen without God. Jared, if I could get you and my helper over here to, we'll pull that off and then later on we won't forget it and not be able to see Cheyenne smiling at us and directing her team. No one can become godly without God. But that middle voice given, can't forget that, it also means that no one can become godly without personal effort. So, Bring me to that next slide. Look at that guy. He's a handsome guy. A little off on his weird ears, you know. He's got a really super small one, then a really big one. Back in, in seminary, when Barbara and I were first in our first, well, actually, she probably drew this maybe even before we were married. Uh, so it had been 19, 20, 20 years ago. We're on our 19th year now. And so we're going to celebrate 19. She'll throw something at me if I don't get this right here. Um, but we were taking, a, I, was teach, I was learning a class in seminary, and it was called Spiritual Disciplines. And it was teaching you spiritual disciplines that, that are the different kinds of things that will draw us, have the ability to draw us closer to God. And they're also, this picture is also in your bulletin and on one of the back sides of one of the inserts. Um, uh, and so I remember I had this class, and it was one of my favorite classes in seminary is learning about spiritual disciplines. And these are 10 spiritual disciplines. Frank, no, no, it wasn't Frank. Never mind, I'm, I'm going to forget his name. So the first thing that I remember is this. So take, go from the top to the bottom. The first thing is, is, is learning. I should be constantly learning. Not just learning more about God through the Bible, but I also like to read books. And, and so when we're learning, it's something that's not just through your Bible. There's all kinds of great resources, great sermons, listening to sermons, listening to audios, listening to podcasts about God, but there's all different kinds of way of learning about Him. The next one comes to the big ear, listening. We got two ears and one mouth, but I've found that most people struggle when it comes to listening during their prayer time. They do more talking than they do listening. How am I going to learn more about God and get closer to Him if I'm not even listening to Him? God's not your, your genie in a bottle. He's not Santa Claus. And a lot of times our prayer lives have gotten so far off track that all we're doing is saying, God, I need you to do this, this, and this, and this. Prayer is not about your honey to-do list. Prayer is about you communing with God and getting closer to Him. The next, the I is used for Bible intake. I was asked once, Daniel, if you, could, if you could have one thing happen throughout your church, only one thing, what would it be? And I said that everyone would have a devotional life every day. 
that they would get in the Word of God because that will change your life faster than anything else. I would, I would love for people to share their faith, but we're not going to share our faith if I don't even understand why. And the, uh, the answer for the why is in the Bible. On one hand, we have journaling. The Bible tells us to not forget what God has done for us, but so many times we forget just weeks after God did something great for us and we forget it because we never recorded it. Recording what God is doing in your life is valuable. It's not only valuable for you, but think about this, valuable for your children. I can't wait for my kids when it's time for my wife and I to move on and go to our home. I can't wait for my kids to read through our journals, to see our struggles, to see the things that we prayed, to see the growth from how I prayed 10 years ago to now and then what it will look like in 10 years from now. Serving, serving, finding opportunities to help, minister to people, serving in any kind of way. A lot of times we, 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 we use this to offset everything else. I have a lot of people who will serve God, but they won't have a devotional life. Well, that service to the Lord will die because there's no more growth. There's no growth coming. Everything will end up dying where there is no growth. Heart of worship. Guys, I want you to know that a song, worship is, is more than a song. Songs can lead us into worship, but worship in its simplest form is saying, I love you, Jesus. You can worship him all day long. Every time you say, God, I love you. God, I praise your name. Every time you're thinking about him, praising him, you're worshiping him. And even it says when we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to God, that is a spiritual act of worship as well. Worship can be shown in our actions of love. Fasting, a lost art, a lost commandment. Jesus said in the New Testament, when you fast, not if you fast. And there's probably several of us sitting in this room that have never fasted. Never even thought about fasting. Fasting is one of the most powerful things that the devil has got us to forget about. Throughout the Old Testament, every time calamity and disaster would come, guess what happened? They would call the nation of Israel to fast. It means to withhold from yourself. It's to withhold something from yourself. So in the Old Testament fasting, they often fasted from food because guess what the strongest addiction in the world is? Sugar strongest addiction in the world is sugar. Some people have said, well, I won't. I, I can't fast. No, you just won't. You know, another type of fasting, fasting is to get rid of the idols in your life. Every one of you has an idol. It's the go-to thing that's not God. Some of you, it's food. And if you're unwilling to fast from food, then that's your idol. But you know what? Some of it is Facebook, TikTok, Snapchat, watching TV. Think about this. If you started taking the time that you stared at that screen and you compared it to the time you spent with God, which wins? Come on. Okay, let's, let's be honest. 
How many of you would say that the amount of time you stare at that screen for non-spiritual purposes, non-work-related purposes, was more time than the time you spend with God? We've got a lot of liars. Okay, just checking. I'm just checking. So here's the thing. I want to challenge you. If, if this little screen has gotten to such a grip in our life that we can't get our face off of it, Fast from Facebook. 40 days. Why do I say 40 days? Because Jesus fasted as he was preparing himself. He fasted for 40 days. Could you fast from Facebook for 40 days? Could you fast from Snapchat or TikToks, tweeting birds, and all the other foolishness that just so quickly takes us away? Could you fast from the TV? I remember a fast that I actually hand-delivered. I, I kind of went back, and I fasted from everything that was secular. We could listen to Christian music, and we could watch Christian movies. We could watch Christian videos, but all secular stuff was gone for 40 days. It was awesome. What I'm wanting you to understand is that fasting is a thing that is a great tool to help us get closer to God. But we fight it. Why? Because the idol has a hold of us. If there's something you're unwilling to fast from, that's the problem. Another sermon for another day. Giving, the thing that everybody hates pastors to talk about, giving, the money that's coming out of that pocket, right? We either get mad because we're not doing it, we're mad because we're convicted about it, or we're mad because we don't have anything to give. I will tell you this, everyone has something to give. Jesus taught about giving in a way that he said there was a widow who gave a copper coin. That's all she had. She gave the copper coin, put it down, and he says, I tell you the truth, she's given more than anyone else here. And they're like, how in the world is that possible? She gave out of her poverty while others were giving out of their abundance. And Jesus said that. So if you say, well, I don't have much, God doesn't care about the amount as much as he cares about the heart. God can take that last five dollar bill that you had in your pocket and you're like man this is not enough to give it's unworthy god can take that and multiply it into whatever he wants it to be god can do anything but a lot of times we don't even allow him and then we get mad but if you look look around there's enough people if everybody worked together but you know often when you talk about people who are actively givers in church, it's usually below 20% of a church that's actively financially giving. And guess what? This building is large and it has lots of expenses when it comes to electricity and keeping it cooled and heated and all the other things that come into play with that. And I'm not saying that to be mean. What I'm saying is I want to be honest. When we think about giving, it shouldn't be something that is bad to talk about. Me and my wife, my wife, she's not over there right now. She, my wife, we talk about giving and we talk about money. Money matters. If you don't talk about it, you don't get bills paid and then stuff gets shut off. Right? So the thing is, we talk about it there all the time. In fact, I love how, how Paul says it in, in the Second Corinthians. He says that he, he didn't, he goes, I'm not commanding you to give, but I am testing the sincerity of your love. Woo. I'm not telling you have to. But if you don't, it shows how real your love is. That's what he's saying. For God loves a cheerful giver. Whew. 
We get down to the bottom of this and we get into prayer. That's where the knees come in, right? Prayer. A lot of times we'll do a lot of other things and our prayer lives are become more of us telling God what we need Him to do rather than us actually seeking Him. What if your prayer life changed to where you were seeking God out? God, I seek you. I want more of you. And the feet for going evangelism. Every one of us is called to make disciples, not just pastors and not just teachers. Everyone. And that takes all different kinds of shapes and sizes. I'm going to finish out the next slide, finishes out the passage that we started. For if you possess these qualities, when he was talking about when you add to your faith knowledge and add to knowledge virtue and virtue godliness, and he was, he was stair-stepping that passage and saying when you um, give every effort to add to this, then he says if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, what it means is this, I'm not just to grow in knowledge on a Sunday morning. That he's wanting you to take every opportunity. What, what, what Peter is saying to the church, he's saying you need to take every opportunity to grow, to grow, to grow, to add to your faith knowledge. And you can do this every single day, not just a Sunday. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, it means that I am continuously adding to this, adding to this, adding to this. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in that knowledge of Jesus Christ. Wow. That's a pretty strong verse, isn't it? If I'm making every effort to add to my learning, add to my, my faith, add to, add to my knowledge of God, all these things, if I keep, keep adding these things, character, integrity, virtue, love, brotherly kindness, all the list that was there... Then, and, and, and it's an increasing measure, meaning that it's continuously going up, I will then, it'll keep me from being ineffective and unproductive. So the next slide, the last slide that I have says this. So what does all this have to do with leading yourself and leading others? I say everything. One of the things that I've often taught our leadership over and over and over is leaders cannot minister beyond their character. You've heard that a couple of times. Character is going to always be directly connected with godliness. If you have poor character, you're not even close to being godly in character. And leaders cannot minister beyond your devotional life. This one is the one that I've been pushing in the last several years pretty hard. I want you to think about this. Why is this so important, having that devotional life, having that personal walk with the Lord? I want you to think about this. You can never take anyone further than what you're going I can't take anyone closer to God than what I am. So if my devotional life is non-existent, that I'm pouring myself out and pouring myself out. And guess what? When you pour yourself out, you're offering yourself, not Christ, first and foremost. You might be talking about Him, but you're offering yourself, and you will burn out. You burn out because you're offering yourself. Here's the thing, was when you walk with God, you have an endless supply of His divine power flowing through you. 22 years I've been a minister and I've not burned out once. And that's not because I don't do anything. <laughs> but I can tell you this, that for 22 years, one of the most important aspects of my life has been my devotional walk with the Lord. 
Well, you guys know it because you see the tidbits every week. I can't take anyone deeper than what I swam. I can't, can't take someone behind me that's following my leadership any further in the water than what I'm willing to go. So here's what we're going to do about this, because this is about leading yourself. And if you would put the picture back up two slides ago, the kid with the big ear. <clears throat> what I'm wanting you to think about is where are you falling short when you look at spiritual discipline? Where am I falling short? And so here's what I want us to do is I want us to use this as an invitational time right now. And get on our knees. Maybe this is a time of saying, God, thank you for showing me an area that I'm lacking in. Maybe it's a reminder. Maybe you're like, man, I've been really doing good in my devotional life, but I've completely forgot about fasting. Or you may be sitting here, I've never fasted in my life. God, help me. But I want to invite you. I want to challenge you to go further than what you've ever been. That's the goal. If we're just trying to tread water and just stay where we are, we're going to drown. What I want to do is every time we show up to worship Him, I want to push you further than you've ever been. That's my goal every time I stand up here, is to push you further than what you've been. Sometimes drag you if I have to. Or, like the sheep did, it dragged me a little bit. So I want you to bow your heads I want us to start there and just bow your heads and maybe just begin to ask yourself in what area of your life do you need maybe there's some areas that you've not really been leading yourself in you've allowed yourself to get away from Maybe there's some things that you've allowed in your life that need to be gone. Maybe there's some, some, some sin in your life. First, if there's some things that we need to get rid of, I want to invite you to come on over. Come on down. Lay it down. Maybe there's some, some things in your life that you need to... Maybe there's some idols... What if there's some idols in your life? Maybe you're sitting here saying, wow, the phone is a bigger idol than what I've ever thought it was. Maybe we need to lay some idols down today. Maybe you're realizing that your devotional life is not anywhere where it needed to be. And maybe today is the day that you're committing to the Lord saying, God, my devotional life has not, I have not been walking with you like I should and I want to start today. God, I want my prayer life to change today. God, I want it to change today. I don't want to tell you what I want you to do. I want to listen to you more. I want to start today. God, I haven't shared my faith in over a year, and God, I want to start sharing my faith again. See, if we're honest, every one of us has some area of weakness that now could become a strength. My prayer is that that 
will be something that you will honestly grasp today. God has the divine power. He has all the power you need for the life that you're in and for godliness. Are you meeting him in the middle? Maybe today is the day to say, God, I want to meet you in the middle. And right now, God, I'm going to get up. And I'm, I don't care how uncomfortable it is. I'm getting up. I'm falling on my knees. Maybe those who are on live, the live stream right now, are falling down on their knees in their living room saying, God, today I'm meeting you in the middle. No longer am I going to sit on the sideline and watch. I'm on the move. <laughs>